Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Action Fanatics, welcome to another edition of the Bulletproof Podcast. Chris the Brain here with you. And unlike normally, I don't have Chad Cruz with me as my co-host. So in the guest chair and the co-host chair, simultaneously, it is our good friend, the toy man, Christy Petrillo. And Chris, we needed to have you on this very special edition as we kick off Actionversary Month. That's right. I am a jack of all trades tonight, but the Toy Man title is appropriate because we are going to discuss another film from our beloved Canon Films Library, and it is based on my OG favorite toy line of all time, He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. And yeah, I mean, this one, we absolutely needed you to be on this program. So that is why you are here. But I mentioned it. BulletproofAction.com going to be celebrating eight years officially on August 29th, but all month long, Chris, we are going to be celebrating. And I'll tell you what, it's like the the action gods have, have blessed us because so much is happening in the month of August and we will be covering it. I'm talking about just this week alone, we've got Bullet Train coming out. We'll be covering it. Prey, the Predator prequel is coming out. We'll be covering that too. Hey, there is a whole lot of nice new action coming up, and I'm sure some golden oldies will pop up on our favorite streaming apps that might make their way into Actionversary. Oh, absolutely. Uh, other things, Sniper, another Sniper movie, Rogue Mission, our good friend Chad Michael Collins is going to be in that one again, and we'll be covering that. Uh, Sylvester Stallone has a, a superhero movie coming to Prime, Samaritan. And there's all, speaking of, we talked about the Prey prequel, I, there's the, the Game of Thrones prequel series starting up in august as well house of the dragon and yeah you want to talk about classic content you know i plan on bringing some charles bronson to this actionversary party oh charlie b is a requirement for any celebration and i know matt specter is talking about a little david bradley oh very interesting and it wasn't that long ago since we talked about mr bradley on the site when uh you had checked out crisis that's correct. And uh, also we're going to be playing tribute to James Horner. And of course, there is the huge Actionversary post that we do each and every year. I'm going to wait to reveal what that's going to be. But I will say this. It's so huge, it's going to be a two-day event. So take that for what you will. And we'll talk about more of what we're going to do on the podcast at the end of the show. So there's another reason to stay tuned for the entire program. But before we get into our Masters of the Universe talk, let's get to some social media plugs because we want you to follow us. We want you to let us know what you're thinking about the show, what you think about uh, the site. So follow us on Twitter at BulletproofPod and at BulletproofAction on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, you know, again, it's a great place to get feedback. Let us know what we're doing right or give us some suggestions too because we are always open for suggestions on what to watch, what to talk about here on the show. And uh, we will get to that Masters of the Universe conversation right after this break. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, Chris the Brain and Christy Petrillo back. It's like Chris and Chris in the morning here. Uh, a wild morning zoo, perhaps. Maybe not. Maybe shock jock style is more fitting for maybe, uh, the maybe. Two of us. You know, maybe. our good friend our good friend Jim Cornette, you know, we'll, we'll take some inspiration from him, a little bit of Opie and Anthony thrown in there. We'll see how many people we can incite on Twitter. <laughs> it, well, you know, I think just us praising the movie Masters of the Universe is going to incite half of of the masters of the universe fans because it, this movie definitely seems like a 50 50 split some people love the movie some people absolutely hate it it came out august 7th 1987 a can canon had big dreams for this one chris as did i i was all about the he-man when i was younger i had one of the largest collections of any toy line that i was ever into i'd say i had about a good 75 to 80 percent of the he-man toys I read the comics. I had the little golden books. I had the shampoo bottle shaped like He-Man and Skeletor. Uh, there is photographic evidence of all of this stuff. I loved Masters of the Universe. So when this movie came out, I was expecting so much. And it really threw seven-year-old me for a loop. I was a bit older at this point uh, and had already kind of... He-Man came and went out of my life quickly. It was basically that first Christmas that stuff came out. I think my aunt bought me a bunch of the stuff. So it kind of was like, oh, cool. Like Castle Grayskull, He-Man, Skeletor. I mean, I had all the main pieces there. And I think by the time my birthday rolled around, I had got a few more He-Man things. And I just lost interest in it. Um, so to me, I didn't really have as much of a... I would, my heart wasn't so set on, on the He-Man of the toys and certainly not of the cartoon, although I did watch the cartoon. I know that's a that's definitely seems to be where the cart the movie didn't match the cartoon, and that really ticks people off. No, yeah, it, it didn't follow the same lore. Um, kind of like what you said about the figures. You know, the main players were there, but it wasn't really following format. So this one, again, August 7th, 1987, the movie starts off. We get a shot of Castle Grayskull, um, and we get some narration. We get to hear that wonderful score by Bill Conti. And again, like a lot of the elements are here for this to be, and I know you said it before we, we got on, on the air here, um, it's Canon's attempt to start their own Star Wars franchise. That's what it felt like. Like even, you know, the, the score is, it's an epic score, like you said, but that if you know if you listen to it and kind of compare it to Star Wars or something that's more science fiction fantasy, which obviously this is, it feels like this was you know Canon was banking on this one to become like their next big franchise. Like we were kind of sowing the seeds for arrival to films like you know the Star Wars and Jedi flicks that we had gotten in the previous years. Right, and again, I think you know they were striking at a good time because now Star Wars is gone. People, there was that there was that void to fill. Um, and at that point, there was no plans of any kind of more Star Wars. And we were well, you know, decade or more before we would we'd even get to that. But uh, the movie starts off Skeletor's forces. They have caused havoc on Eternia. They have taken over Castle Grayskull, which is a 
pretty freaking big deal. And yeah, uh, something that we saw them trying to do in the new uh, Revelation cartoon this past year. Which you covered on bulletproofaction.com. So check it out. Pretty much, if there's Masters of the Universe content, it's more than likely been done by Mr. D. Petrillo. Although I did a nice uh, 10 things about this movie. And I believe Chad reviewed it way back when. So uh, check all that out. But uh, one thing, though, that Skeletor does not have as the movie begins, he does not have He-Man captive. He does have the sorceress, but he wants He-Man because that's really the linchpin to this whole thing to really be the master of the universe. He needs He-Man to be bowing to him. And what's interesting is that in the film, he's looking for He-Man and we're looking for He-Man and we certainly do see He-Man, but we don't ever see Prince Adam. We've got Dolph Lundgren playing He-Man straight through. There is no transformation sequence. There is no, you know, saving the day by raising his sword and transforming into the title character. Dolph is He-Man. He-Man is Dolph. And Skeletor wants him for his own bidding. And to me, that is the, like, again, with the toys, when they first came out, that's what it was. He-Man was He-Man. There was no Prince Adam at the beginning. That that, That was a cartoon thing. And I think that's part of what took me out of of the masters of the universe fandom because i like the fact that we just had a freaking hero he was he-man i so much of the you know pretty much every superhero we had this you know secret identity where he-man was different he stood out from that but then they just kind of went and did the same thing they do with all the superheroes and he had his secret identity he had his battle cat had a secret identity and of course freaking orco <laughs> but you don't get Orko in the film. Exactly. And I but that's what I'm saying. This is why the cartoon kind of was like, what are we what are they doing? Why why is there Cringer? Why is there Prince Adam? And why is there frickin' Orko? But you know what? I am a sucker for a good transformation sequence. And I mean I guess it helps that the Incredible Hulk is my favorite superhero of all time because you know, where you'd have Dr. Banner morphing into the Hulk as a kid, I would pop every time Adam raised that sword and turned into He-Man. Maybe I'll do a best transformation post for the site. <laughs> Maybe. Will Optimus Prime make the cut? We'll find out. Uh, so we've got, uh, yeah, and, and just, of course, you'd use that transformation. That's just reuse that animation over and over again every episode. Cost Stock cutting. footage. There, there you go. So we get Evil Lynn, played by Meg Foster, who did a great job. Absolutely great. great job. Always creepy. She's a, she's got those creepy eyes, and it's perfect for Evil Lynn. And then you have the really the guy who steals this whole movie, Frank Langella, Skeletor. I know if Chad were here, he would say what he has said on many an occasion that he believes Skeletor is the better is a better villain than Darth Vader. And I know you not being a Star Wars fan. Probably are not going to argue that point. I was going to say, I mean, there is some slight bias in my voice if we're going to bring that one up, but I would agree. I mean, you know, Frank Langella, I mean, a lot of people will knock canon films quite often. We've seen that. A lot of people will knock this particular movie. We've seen that. But Frank Langella was an accomplished actor before this film and still had a much longer and a hell of a career after this film. And just the fact that he took the role based on his son's fandom for Masters of the Universe, how can you not love that? The yeah. guy became uh, you know, a, a main villain in a fantasy franchise all because 
his kid loved the toy line. That that's uh, that's father of the year material right there. And, and yeah, he and I, I'm not going to go as far as say he's better than Darth Vader, but he's right there with him as far as I'm concerned. And I, you know, definitely a fan of the original Star Wars films that grew up with them. But yeah, I would put him right there neck and neck with Darth Vader at the very worst. So the sorceress, as I mentioned, she's captive. She's getting weaker by the moment. Uh, We get a hologram Skeletor who addresses all of Eternia. And that's where we get our first look at He-Man, Dolph Lundgren, who absolutely looks the part of He-Man in 1987. Absolutely. Yeah, if you were going to cast He-Man, Dolph was the way to go. Yeah, really the only choice. Um, and He-Man, we meet up with uh, some of his compatriots. Duncan, a.k.a. Man-at-Arms, played by John Cipher, and Tila, played by Chelsea Field, who are friends at uh, $2 Late Fee, our fellow Geekscapist, recently interviewed. So you should check that out over at Geekscape.net. Um these obviously so far so good as far as the cartoon we you know they even call him Duncan and everything so which was another thing that I think the cartoon brought in and very true to form you know slight update but very you know very militaristic look for man at arms you know he was always seen in the armor because he was the main guard you know the main palace guard and then Tila you know that is her father so obviously following in his footsteps you know she looks more like a rebel leader here but like so far so good minor tweaks. Nothing yeah, too off base. Not not as scantily clad as the Tila action figure, but again, this is a live action situation, and uh, she still looked beautiful, still gorgeous. Um, but I'm sure there were some that would probably have preferred her in the the skimpier outfit, more of a Princess Leia looking outfit. The, yeah, the, the slave like the girl Leia. Yeah, yep. yes. And then we get to meet a completely new character. And an amazing character and someone who has become probably one of my favorite characters in the entire movie, played by the great Billy Barty. We meet Gwildor, the diminutive locksmith and inventor. And why does Skeletor want Gwildor? Well, it's very simple, Chris. It's the cosmic key. That's right. That is the MacGuffin of the Masters of the Universe film. That is the device that the bad guys need to get all of the power from Grayskull. And yeah, and that's where Skeletor got. That's how he got into Grayskull because he had Evil Lynn kind of go in there and uh, flatter old Gwildor and and learn about this key that he had. And as far, but now Skeletor's like, okay, we don't need him making another key, so it's time to get rid of Gwildor. He's served his purpose. Goodbye, Gwildor. We know it works. We don't need him for anything. He needs to go, but what he does not know is that Gwildor has the prototype, and that's where this whole thing's going to get thrown in and really be the the source of how this story continues. Because otherwise, Skeletor would just have won in the first ten fifteen minutes, and that's not that's movie. not that's not a very good movie. Uh, so. Gwildor takes uh, He Man and Duncan and Tila into his his cool little workshop, his home. Uh, but it's not long before Karg, who has always kind of reminded me, like if Richard Lynch was an Eternia bad guy, he would be Karg. If Richard Lynch and David Bowie combined <laughs> to make a villain, <laughs> maybe be Karg. Yeah. yeah, there you go. Uh, so they found him, but fortunately, Gwildor's got secret tunnels that conveniently go right to Grayskull. So 
if only Skeletor knew that, he could have just used those tunnels. Um, see, you could say it was almost a labyrinth. Oh, there, thank you. Great. See? See thank that? You. Yeah, Welcome. you worked it all in there. <laughs> so they get to Grayskull. There's the sorceress. She's kind of trapped in this bubble gimmick. Um, obviously, their, their first instinct is to try to free her, but there there's no way to do that. And there's really no time either because we've got Skeletor showing up. And he's got grand plans, Chris. He does. He is about to attempt to absorb all of the power and kill off the sorceress so that he can finally take over. Yeah. And uh, yeah, once the great eye opens, it's all over for her. Um, And of course, he wants He-Man and his friends to surrender. And that's when he's like, oh, what the hell does Gwildor have in his hands? It looks like another freaking cosmic key. And indeed it was. We get a big battle. He-Man is like, Gwildor, get, you know, get man at arms and Tila out of there. He was going to stay behind, but the sorceress steps in and is like, you need to get out of here too if we have any chance of defeating Skeletor. And now, could you imagine, you know, He-Man's like, just get us out anywhere. You know, he has no destination. Guess where they end up, Chris. I am going to guess that because they are interplanetary, interdimensional heroes, usually the landing spot for people of that nature is right here on planet Earth. Beautiful. Beautiful planet Earth. Um, Gwildor ends up in the drink. um, And, you know, they're immediately like, okay, we got out of there, but now we got to get back. But there's a problem. The key during their, I guess you just kind of, fall i mean that uh, portal must have been in the sky and they just dropped him in because later we see the portal just nice and right there on the street and skeletor just marches right through it yeah but uh again he was in a rush so uh, you can understand that gwildor may not have uh had a chance to configure everything the way he'd like to but uh we're on earth now and they don't have the key but they do find a cow is it a cosmic cow? Has <laughs> been too close for comfort. Yes, you get. You know, if someone's going to get my references, it's always you, and I'm glad it's you. This is why we're friends. Yes, that was <laughs> a too close for comfort joke. Uh, Ted Knight. About Ted five Knight. people listening are going to get that joke and know what the hell we're talking about. There you but. go. Well, that's you know, five people maybe all that listen to this program. No, we we've got more than five, and we appreciate all five plus of you that listen to this program. Um, so yeah, we, we've got, it's not a cosmic cow. It's just an earth cow. Uh, and they don't really understand because he looks strange. And I would imagine it would just like Gwildor looks strange to us because we're not used to him. Uh, so now they got to split up to find the key. They synchronize their personal locators and we get our first good journey, which is like their catchphrase. Their catchphrase. Yep. And it's a, it's a beautiful sentiment really when you think about it. Um, and now we're going to meet Courtney Cox before she was anybody's friend. She was uh, Julie and she was working at a fast food ribbon chicken joint, but she's about to move to New Jersey for a fresh start, which I don't know if those words have ever been uttered before. <laughs> I mean, it might be a start, but it might not be a fresh start. <laughs> so this is her last day at that job. Uh, she's pretty much seems like she's graduating high school uh, and she's done and, and we'll find out exactly why she just kind of wants to start all over 
in a moment. But first, we get to meet her boyfriend, Kevin, who picks her up. Uh, Aspiring musician, Kevin. Oh, yeah. A song maker, as we will find out later. Um, Living in a box, playing on the radio, Chris. Remember that tune? I do remember that tune. Very catchy little sing-along tune. Do you know who sang Living in a Box? Off the top of my head, I cannot remember who sang Living in a Box. Living in a Box was sung by the group Living in a Box. Do you know uh, what the oh. Do you know what the name of the album was? Living in a Box. You got it. The trifecta. When when it comes up on my Spotify on my car, it just says Living in a Box. Just all the way down, Living in a Box. It's beautiful. I love it. It's like tic-tac-toe or something i have it on a hard drive and it came from one of like the 80s compilations so the artist is listed as various artists gotcha and it's yeah. one of those mp3 files that i probably got off the original napster mm, yes. program so it's, and i just never thought to update it classic so like all these piracy years, yeah <laughs> so all these years i'm like listening to it and i never just think to be like wait a minute who sang that song again yeah it's on one it's i believe it's on my my soundtracks playlist also my bulletproof action playlist where if it was mentioned or it was in a movie that we've covered it i put it on that playlist it's so, in a movie that we're covering right now see that? and we, we are definitely covering it so kevin uh julie wants to go to the cemetery because we find out her parents had passed in a uh, plane crash so she wants to say goodbye before she heads off to new jersey uh, meanwhile while that's going on gwildor is at the chicken and rib joint that uh, julie just left and he snags himself some lunch from a uh, couple that was more interested in devouring one another than their food all that interplanetary travel really uh, kicks up the appetite it certainly does um so yeah now we get back to the cemetery julie blames herself for basically she had plans with her parents but then she canceled them so then they're like okay well we're gonna take the plane out because we have a plane and that's what we do i guess i don't know i've never had a plane so i guess i would never know that um, but things do not end well for them. Um, so then they, uh, they make their way out, and that's where they find the cosmic key. But they don't know what the hell it is, Chris. No, uh, Kevin thinks that it's a synthesizer, a Japanese synthesizer that fell from the sky. So, so he, uh, he was half right. Yeah, you know, one out of two isn't bad, right? And why would he think a Japanese synthesizer would fall from the sky? The world may never know. But what the world does know, uh, or at least a world far away from Earth, is that the key has been activated, uh, buttons have been pressed, and we are about to get some of Eternia's dark forces unleashed on planet Earth. Yeah, once that uh, key goes, the signal goes up to Skeletor, and that's what he had been waiting for. Um, And a group of mercenaries, and this is very similar to the uh, Empire Strikes Back scene where Darth Vader hires his bounty hunters and you just see that rogues gallery but we've got blade who's obviously the most famous and he actually popped up on one of these netflix gimmicks did he not uh yeah so the masters of the universe revelation so for anyone who's listening to this who isn't already familiar with the movie or the background uh the four characters that come to earth the four main villains karg sorod blade and Beastman of the four only one was an actual Masters of the Universe character prior to this film. Uh, that being Beastman, you probably right. had the orange furry looking guy as a child. Uh, yes. You've seen him plenty of times in the cartoon. 
Blade, uh, as cool and awesome as he was, a uh, very cool character, uh, an eye patch clad swordsman, was one of the mercenaries, and he was uh, snuck in as a ca- on a cameo along with several other characters when Netflix debuted the new cartoon uh, this past year. And Blade, played by Anthony DeLongas, who did a ton of action movies over the course of his career, and uh, yeah, probably the yeah, well, Gwildor I love, but I, you know, he's another quality addition to the uh, the Masters of the Universe universe, if you will. I think that he was probably, <laughs> I guess you could say the most well-defined, because, you know, like I said, Karg was just kind of like an evil David Bowie, Richard Lynch hybrid, <laughs> right. and Saurad never really got any... He was a jobber, and, he, yeah, and we'll he see was... how much of a jobber he is in a little bit. <laughs> I mean, if you want to talk about a character straight out of Star Wars, that's what Saurad looks like. You know, he's got the laser gun. He's got like the space helmet looking head. But Blade, I mean, you know, we're talking about canon films. We're talking about ninjas and karate flicks. I mean, Blade is like a super powered karate villain almost. Yeah. I mean, he could have been, you know, he could have been in an American Ninja movie. He could have fought Shokasugi. I mean, that character could have, you could have dropped him in in just about anything. I don't know if Bronson would have done well with Blade. I mean, you could have done what I did as a child and had Blade take on Chuck Norris's Karate Commandos. You know what? If a month goes by where you don't mention Karate Commandos, <laughs> either on this podcast or in, in one of or your in an article, in an article, uh, did the month even happen? I don't know. So, I mean, there were only five episodes. I got to keep the dream alive. And right? you are, yeah, you have squeezed, you continue to squeeze juice out of that. Uh, so, <laughs> the big thing is. This whole thing, this He-Man gimmick, he, Skeletor needs him back alive. Uh, and he needs it before Moonrise on Eternia, because that's when all this is going to happen and when he can really take over. Um, so these mercenaries have quite the task ahead of them. Um, now we cut back to Earth, where Kevin and Julie are at the, uh, I guess, the gym at the high school. They're going to have the big dance there. Um, Kevin's doing a sound check, but he's also still screwing around with his cosmic key. Cause I mean, that's a pretty cool, I mean, if I found the freaking cosmic key, I'd probably be doing the same thing. Um, and they, then he decides, Hey, I'm going to take this over to Charlie's music shop. He'll know what this is. Uh, Julie does not want to go though. She's kind of just soaking in that last bit of the high school because she's going to be moving away. Uh, she's feeling a little nostalgic. I would assume. Yeah, she's going to miss her surroundings, her friends. You know, this is her last hurrah. And unfortunately, it's about to be disrupted by Skeletor's forces. It is. And we find out quickly that Carl the janitor is no match for Eternia's mercenaries. No, he is not the formidable force that they are about to go up against. Yeah, he's not uh, Billy Blank's level janitor. So it's obvious who wins this showdown. <laughs> More on that later. But now, we've, we so now Julie's like freaked out as she well she should be because yeah, things are all, not going as planned. There's all kinds of weird sounds. There's this, and all of a sudden, just burst through these these monsters as she calls them, and rightfully so. I mean, Beastman's pretty scary dude, and he's not even bright orange, uh, and he's still scary. So yeah, this dance is not going to happen. It does not look like the, the, the decorations are coming down, and it's it's not good. Uh, but she hides and eventually bumps into He-Man, which is the best person to bump into at this point in time. Um, he's going to take care of the problem. Gives her a blaster, too, just like, you stay here, defend yourself with this. 
and we get Blade versus He-Man. Which is a pretty kick-ass little sword battle. Uh, and you can tell that this was something that Blade was eager to do because as he tells He-Man, I've waited a long time for this. So this was kind of a cool uh, old versus new face-off character-wise. And it seems like he may have a bit of Blade Envy or Sword Envy. I think he wants He-Man's sword. That's true because he's swinging two while He-Man only needs one. Yeah. So we get that man at arms and Tila show up. That's when that happens, the rest of Blade's boys all take off. Um, but now He-Man turns to Julie because he needs her help. He needs to know, has she seen the freaking cosmic key? Meanwhile, we cut over to Charlie's. Uh, we got some Jimi Hendrix playing. Um, and Charlie <laughs> offers quite the professional opinion, Chris. Yeah, uh, he thinks that it is, uh, quote-unquote, far out. (laughs) Expert opinion from the owner of the music store. Yeah, never seen anything like it. Well, thanks a lot, Charlie. I can see why you have this fine establishment. Um, Kevin is now distracted, though, because there's cop cars and fire trucks racing by. Um, They turn on the police band radio, and they find out there's been a, a, a situation going down at the high school, and... Kevin's like, obviously, like, oh, crap, I left Julie there. So he's right there with them. Um, Kevin gets there as Carl's being loaded into the ambulance. And now we meet another fantastic character in this film, played by the great James Tolkien. Uh, yeah, Detective Lubick, a fantastic character played by a fantastic character actor. Absolutely. Um, so he's there and he and Kevin do not hit it off at all. Um, Kevin's like, where's there's. He's like, my girlfriend's in there. No, she's not. We checked. There's nobody in there except the janitor. Well, we then you need to be looking for her. Okay, you want to go look for her? Let's go look for her, tough guys. <laughs> Takes him over to Julie's house. Then we go back to He-Man, who introduces Julie to Duncan and Tila. And there seems to be a bit of a jealousy there for Tila. They tease a little something. Like, why is He-Man with this hoochie mama from Earth? I mean, you know, they're in different surroundings, you know. They, she might think that He-Man's got his sights set on the uh, the different girl, the new girl in town. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then <laughs> here comes Gwildor, who I guess was instructed to find native transportation. By selling Mary Kay, apparently, because <laughs> he shows up in a pink Cadillac. A pink Cadillac that he's like revamped the entire fuel system. Like, I'll, this man works quickly. That's so in his time on Earth, he's decided to raid someone's KFC, lose the cosmic key, and get a job as a mechanic. Yeah. And like could have could we would not be paying the money we're paying for gas if Gwildor could have done this to all the cars. That's your Billy Barty, where are you when we need you? <laughs> so that's where we're at. Uh he shows up, pink Cadillac. Gwildor is stu- like honky tonk man had a pink Cadillac. And Peggy he Sue driven was, by Don Mandela's page. Yeah, there. But in the song, of course, he was driving with Peggy Sue beside him and the colonel in the back. Pile Driver also came out in 1987. 1987. Um, so we've got the, uh, yeah, now Skeletor and Evelyn are having a heart-to-heart about He-Man. And, you know, Skeletor realizes, I can't kill this son of a bitch. Because if you do that, then he's, you know, it's kind of the Obi-Wan. If I strike him down, he'll be more powerful than ever before. 
you know, they'll treat He-Man as a martyr, as a saint. And uh, that's not what he wants. He wants He-Man to be his slave. So, again, that's a big reason why he wants He-Man brought back alive. But the mercenaries do come back, and they don't have very good news for Skeletor. And their lack of good news for Skeletor means bad news for them. And like you mentioned before, Saurad does the job because he is the example villain. And Skeletor dispatches of him quickly to show his disdain for their failure. Yeah, and it seems like he would probably have done it to all of them. But then Evil Lynn kind of gets gets like, hey, you know, these guys are good. Oh, you're, you know, and that just ends up being one of those like you speak up. Well, now you're going to have to take care of the problem. So she gets sent out on mission number two, the second attempt. Um, and now we go back to Earth where we get Kevin and Lubick at Julie's. Uh, the phone rings while they're there. Kevin answers. It is Julie. She's like, hey, I've got I'm going to be there. Um, and Lubick is like, who's, you know, he's wondering what the hell's going on. Who's on the phone. He's messing around with the key though. The microwave blows up. There's all kinds of things going on. Um, and I guess the big thing here is Lubick is smart enough. He does not believe this thing's a synthesizer and he doesn't even own a music shop. Yeah. Uh, Lubick feels like, uh, was it Bill Watts who was so out of touch that he thought that his wrestlers were taking marijuana pills? (laughs) No, that was... That was, so, Nick, that was Nick Goulas. I that was who it was. It was Nick Goulas. That's right. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, Lupic just feels like one of those, you know, I don't believe that this thing's a synthesizer. This has got to be something else. There's got to be something more, you know, controversial about this thing. That's how Lupic comes across. Yeah, and he want, he's going to take it down to the left. Please stay, run it through the computer. But, you know, he'll go to Charlie's first because I guess to ch- I don't know why he's really going to Charlie's because that's the set they had built. They didn't build a police station set. Um, well, actually, this is all practical locations. My apologies. Or was it? Other than, obviously, Eternia. Um, I don't think they re- there was a real Castle Grayskull. Just to, not to burst your bubble, Chris. Bubble not burst. Okay, so... <laughs> so, yeah, Lubick's like, all right, I'm going to take this key. And he gets out of there just as Evelyn and uh, her forces get there. But we should mention Evelyn has that instant replay scanner where she finds out the bullshit story that those (laughs) mercenaries told. And shockingly, she doesn't kill the rest of them. No, she's like, well, I need you guys for this. So that that was pretty cool gimmick, though, the the instant replay scanner. Um, We get a little product placement from Burger King. Have it your way. Um, And, uh, but yeah, almost as soon as Lubick leaves, the mercenaries show up. Beastman beats the crap out of Kevin. Evelyn has Blade put the the collar on him that makes you tell the truth. Uh, in Blade, a distorted voice. In a dist- Well, yes. It's kind of like the magic lasso of Wonder Woman. Uh, but I don't think that made your voice distorted. The other, oh, so then the other guys are tossing Julie's place looking for the cosmic key, but Karg does not find the key. He finds the newspaper story about the death of, of uh, Julie's parents, though, and Evelyn kind of makes a mental note of that. Yeah, that might come in handy. Because she's evil, and apparently her name might be Lynn. Kevin comes to, he meets Julie's new friends. He's freaking out because why wouldn't you freak out? Especially when you see Gwildor in disguise. Native clothing, they'd blend right in, wouldn't they? They should. That's what, you know, maybe Kevin, I don't know, a little bit of prejudice towards the Eternians. 
I mean, He-Man's walking around there pretty scantily clad. He probably would stick out like a sore thumb. I would say. Plus, and you know, huge. I mean, he's Kevin's huge. wearing a leather jacket. Charlie, yeah. you had like a varsity jacket on. So, I mean, was He-Man cold? Like, did they just adapt to the climate? Yeah, I would think He-Man was cold. Check his nipples. Were they hard the whole time? Go Listen, back I've been and watching watch. this movie for 35 years and never <laughs> once has anyone ever asked me to, nor have I ever thought to check out his nipples. Well, do it on your next watch <laughs> and you'll know if they could cut glass. He was cold. Um, so, yeah. Now everyone's going. The destination here is Charlie's music store. They got to catch up with Lubick. He-Man gets there. You know, Lubick's like, what is the circus in town? So he's again, he's he's kind of in Kevin's shoes, like, who the hell, what is going on in this town? Um, and let me say this too. I know another big thing people hate about this is that so much of the story takes place on Earth. I don't have a problem with that, but it is odd that there's so few humans around when all this is going like this should cause more attention than it's like Lubick's the only cop on the case right now. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I mean, I know there's stuff going on at the high school still, so they were doing that, but nobody else like pokes their head out when like Julie's house is getting (laughs) ransacked and blown. Like there's no no neighbor like, right. Yeah. No Mrs. Akmanek to, to figure out what's going Ah, on. Solid reference. Thank you. (laughs) So what's going on? None of So that, I guess, you know, if you really want to start overthinking this movie, which you really shouldn't, because it's just, uh, it's a fantasy. It's a fun, it was for kids. I mean, fantasy booking the fantasy film. Exactly. So that was always the thing to me is like, why aren't there more? And how late is Charlie's, is that music store that like, it's the only thing open. Like that has to be open to all hours where everything else. It's I mean, like, yeah, it's an all night music store. Like, did he have like a back room of like dirty movies to rent? Like, no, because they like... were in the back room. I didn't That's see true. any dirty movies back there. That's true. I mean, I understand the H and R block wouldn't still be needed to be open at like ten o'clock at night, but you know, unless it was tax season, uh, then maybe they would be. But anyway, they're at the uh, the music store. And yeah, we do go to the back room because it's like, okay, crap. We got Evil Lynn and the mercenaries on the way. We got to keep these innocent people safe. Even though Lubick was like against it. And Gwildor, while you're back there, get us the hell out of here. Get us home. So we get the big music store battle. Um, Tila eventually does leave her post at the uh, storeroom. And we get the classic woman at arms line from Tila. Mm-hmm. Nice little catchphrase there. Nice little zinger. She's good. She's good. And now no, Tila's good, but Evelyn is a bad, bad human being. Well, I guess she's not a human. What is she? Anyway, she's bad. She's a bad woman. And uh, she uses that mental note she took earlier and her evil magic to trick Julie into giving her the key. And the reason this happens partially is because Lubick and Kevin are at each other's throats and they don't really notice what the hell's going on until Julie comes in and it's like, I need the key. Lubick is now full blown. Like, okay, we're being invaded. Probably thinks it's Russians because it's the eighties, I guess. And, uh, he's like, gets Charlie's gun from under the counter 
and realize he's going to need some backup. So everything has gone to shit here, Chris. They got the key. Skeletor's on his way. And this, I, I brought this up earlier, that visual of that portal opening on the street. And again, how people wouldn't be poking their head out when this freaking giant spaceship is coming. Or out. running in terror or right, doing anything. Exactly, exactly. And, uh, and, and let's throw it back to how the uh the evil warriors or whatever you want to call them in the film got the key uh evelyn completely screwing with julie's uh mental state and her right. mental health you're right i, I skipped right but tell us tell By, us the evil thing she did she shape-shifted into the form of julie's dead mother pretended mm-hmm. to be alive uh julie as we saw from the beginning of the film a little bit distraught a little bit nervous about her fresh start coming up in new jersey so probably not all there things probably aren't clicking i'm sure the arrival of the attorney and certainly hasn't helped <laughs> and she believes that her mother is alive in the back alley of the music store and she really needs that device yeah and like so how... julie runs off to get it okay yeah and brings it to her and is uh immediately shown that her mother is uh, still dead and it was just evil in using the information for what she needs. A little bit of uh, emotional blackmail, I guess you could say. Yeah. Now, that's, we, we need, now that you've, you've verbalized it, cause I just glossed over it. You verbalize it. Let's think about this. Let's dissect it a bit. How, the, if her mother was alive, let's play along and say that how the hell would she know? to go to the back alley of Charlie's music store to find her daughter. Mm-hmm. How? She wouldn't know that. And and I'll give it to Evil Lynn. She like had a whole like backstory, like, oh, we were gut we were working for the government and we like faked our death or some bull crap. Like where'd she pull that out of? That's pure evil when you could just lie like that on the yeah, spot. Yeah, how do they how do they know about our government? Like our it, governmental There system? you go. There you go. Like yeah. They don't. Well, why didn't Julie say you're a lie? Is Dad alive too? Maybe she didn't like her dad. Oh. <laughs> I don't know. Again, this is as I just said moments ago. We probably shouldn't overthink this film. We should. Um, we should get. We should get back to the dark forces walking through the portal. Yeah. Uh, in a very Star Wars esque yeah, scene. He's got the marching, marching soldiers, and he's on this like hovering throne almost really uh and it's just a great visual it's that's like that's skeletor and yeah it would be better if there was like panic and people just running and screaming and like oh my god this i mean there's a freaking skeleton on a skiff coming oh but anyway he's skeletor is not happy he's there they still don't have he-man though they got the key. They don't have He-Man. And now we get some hoverboard action, though, Chris. We do. Hoverboards, which were another thing never seen in the cartoon until the Netflix show. They were actually uh, utilized in the final battle. Well, there you go. I'm glad that they... we couldn't get jet sleds and land sharks and stridors and all the other various vehicles. So we had to settle for uh, basically Clark Griswold's sled except it went through the sky. <laughs> I don't know if it was as fast as Clark Griswold's sled, but uh, he didn't. Well, no, yeah, they weren't greased up enough. Yeah, you didn't put the uh, food additive onto it. So, yeah, He-Man, though, on the hoverboard action, uses a little grappling hook and gets the key back. But 
Well, he gets the key back. Skeletor gets to He-Man's friends, and he's basically using them as bait. Uh, Julie gets involved in the action and gets the zapped by Skeletor, which apparently poisons a person, which is interesting. I don't know how that works, but again, uh, unlike Evelyn, I don't know how things work on other planets. She seems to know. I don't. Um, so He-Man's forced to surrender, and that's where yeah, he gives his sword, and Blade gets a hold of that sword, and he's like a kid on Christmas. Like even if you got the he, if you got the He-Man sword for Christmas, you'd look not even half as enthusiastic as Blade did. I mean, the thing about the sword is, it's not, you know we spent so much time looking for the cosmic key that the sword doesn't have the meaning behind it that it had in all of the cartoons and books and toys and everything like that. Like the sword is an afterthought for the cosmic key. Well, yeah, and like. And the the toys, at least originally, like the the Skeletor and He Man sword, you had to put them together. Yep, click them together, and you could turn them in the door of Castle Grayskull. Right, that's what opened opened the castle. Yes, I recall. Um, and yeah, I think that's another complaint is He Man didn't use the sword exclusively. Uh, they had blasters, which they didn't have blasters in the cartoon, to my recollection. At least He Man did, and I'm sure somebody had blasters. He Man did not. Tila, I mean, you know, Man and Tila may have had those yeah, guys. Did, the the but... soldiers obviously had blasters. Um, so he's he's forced there, but Skeletor like, okay, you surrender. I'll leave your friends here. I'm not going to harm them, but you need to come back with me. Um, but it's clear that if Julie's going to survive, they're going to need to get her to Eternia, where the sorceress could heal her. But now their key is damaged, and it seems like there's no way home. And now we've got Lubick roaming the streets with with reinforcements, looking for these invaders. Um, But here comes a real key scene to this whole thing, because Kevin, I mean, he basically saves the day here, Chris. Kevin, the musical savant, knows the melody that the key happens to play as it's being used. Do you remember it? Uh, I do. Okay. I don't think it would sound right if I hum it. Okay. Everybody... I mean, I know this is going to be a karaoke podcast. <laughs> you never know what this podcast is going to be. <laughs> That's true. I, I am the jack of all trades. I did say that in the beginning. But yeah, Kevin thinks that he can mimic the sound and use it to undamage the key that they still have in their possession and get back home. And Gwildor pops for that. I mean, he's like, oh, yeah, you're a song maker, all right. This, the fates brought us here for a reason. You're a song maker. But Kevin has a little bit of confidence issues, and we get the line of lines. And I, it was a few birthdays ago I got a phone call <laughs> from Mr. Paul London, and he delivered the... We were talking Masters of the Universe, and specifically Gwildor, and he did a perfect. Only one of you, Kevin. Only one of anybody. Uh, he did it much better than I just did, folks. Now, were the two of you talking just Gwildor for the sake of Gwildor, or did this Masters conversation begin with the hearty helping of fuck Orko, as I, you are known to do? I, I don't think I was... No, I think it just naturally kind of came up. I don't think I was... Orco hating you. You weren't you weren't ranting and raving about. I would, no, I think he called me at a. You know, this is he was out in California, so he called me. It was like I don't know two three in the morning here, and he's like, it was yeah, it was probably midnight. So he called me on like uh, he wanted to be 
first in line for birthday wishes. And I'm like, it's three o'clock in the morning, dude. But I just went with it because I think I had the day off. So I didn't care. But I'm like, yeah, I don't, I don't know how we got onto the group, but I just remember him hitting that Billy Barty line perfectly. Uh, so a fine yeah. man, that Mr. Lund. <laughs> he is. He is a, he is a great man. Um, you know, so we get that man at arms gives him like, Hey, if you know how to do anything with this crap, do it because we got to get your girl back to Eternia. Um, and speaking of Eternia, we go back there. Skeletor on his throne. He man, it is a slave. I think, is this where we see the little pig kid who won the contest? Is yes. it right here when he comes back? Yeah. Um, Pig, pig kid. What was his name? Pig boy? Pig boy. Okay, not pig kid. Pig boy's much better. Um, He-Man's a slave. Skeletor's won this thing. He's about to become, dare I say, master of the universe. But not before he makes He-Man kneel. Yeah, he's got a kneel. Kneel And we see uh, Blade trading in the swords for uh, some nice red laser whip special effects. Laser whips classic so yeah he-man has to kneel um kneel before zod type moment um julie's go back to her she's on death's door um girl door was almost finished thankfully he seems like he could rehaul a car quicker than he does this key um and that's when lubick is he spots kevin he's gonna he's gonna stop this but we gotta go back we cut back to Hologram Skeletor addressing Eternia. The eye is about to open, and then, much like our tribal chief, Chris, Skeletor goes into God mode. God mode, another quirk that was uh, returned to in the Revelation cartoon when Skeletor became Skelegod after acquiring uh, the power of Castle Grayskull. And I remember when I was younger that the uh, talk around the schoolyard from those who did not know much about Masters of the Universe was that Skeletor turned into Hordak at the end. And uh, I had to school a couple of my friends. Like, no, 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 no. Two two very different characters. That's like the Ultimate Warrior rumor. Oh, yes. How uh, there were multiple Ultimate Warriors and the second one was Kerry Von Erich. Yeah. Yeah. I don't even think my school they even got to the point it was Kerry Von Eric. It was just, it was his brother. I think was what I heard from, and I remember having a heated discussion. It's Uh, a good a time as any to throw this one in there. Did you see the preview from Comic Con of the upcoming Legends figure of the Dingo Warrior with the interchangeable Ultimate Warrior? I did see that, and that's another. uh, Yeah, that's definitely one that I have on my radar. Yep, that is a a must-have purchase for my uh, my little non. WWE section that I have envisioned in my mind with I have my the classic Legion of Doom already uh, and then yeah Smoke and SWAT team Paul E dangerously yep 1991 Steve Austin 19 yeah oh yeah that'd be another good one and yeah and Dingo Warrior because yeah I remember seeing Dingo Warrior uh, in world class and definitely in the magazines and was very excited when he made his way. Uh, to the WWF in also 1987. 1987. It all ties together. It was a great year. An absolutely great year. So really? we go, yeah, So and that gold Skeletor is pretty freaking awesome. I know they did make a figure of that maybe more than once, but they definitely made 
those figures based on the movie. And that's definitely was a temptation. Yeah, a couple of years ago, Super Super Seven did them. Yeah, Super and... Seven did them, and that thing was beautiful. And I was very tempted to, but I I controlled myself because I had there are rumors toys. that Mattel might be throwing them into either the Revelation or the uh, Origins line. So we could see them done on a more budget friendly scale. That would be nice, and that would definitely be one I maybe not go out of my way to. But if I was walking down the aisle at Walmart or Target and there was Gold Skeletor staring at me. I think it'd be almost impossible that he wouldn't come home with me, because that's a pretty cool look. It was almost as cool. As, well, no, it's cooler than when they made Destro Gold. Um, but I like that Destro as well. But I, I like, like the uh, the revised classified edition that came out last year, the Pimp Daddy Destro <laughs> yes. with burning money. <laughs> that one I don't I didn't get, but yeah, that was quite an interesting choice. I don't. I don't know where that came. Where did that come from? Was that something that happened that I just missed out on? No, uh, the whole Pimp Daddy Destro thing is just kind of like the unofficial nickname of it. Gotcha. Well, back on Earth, the key's powered up. Lubick is now moving in. He's going to arrest these crazy people, but he gets more than he bargained for because he's in the zone, the little area that transports the whole thing, the part of the car that's part of the wall. Pretty awesome little bit where they just, that whole section just ends up. It was like one of the dioramas that you would get with a toy as a kid. Yeah, it was exactly. It reminds me of there's that diorama. Have you seen it with the Chuck Norris invasion USA? Have you seen that gimmick? I don't know what it is or where it was. I think that may have been sold at target, but I never saw it like in person, but I've seen it online. It yeah, no, I never saw it online. So there's that. That's kind of what it reminded me of. But yeah, we've got that. They're there. Um, and now this whole situation is, you know, Skeletor was not expecting this. He-Man manages to get free. The, the bad guys are shooting at our heroes. Lubick gets pissed, and now he just starts blasting with a shotgun, which is a great bit. And I, here's another thing I love. Evil Lynn, she sees what's happening. She's out of there. We don't get any kind of like, I thought we might get like a Tila Evil Lynn moment where she, but Evil Lynn's like, no, you get, you'll have to catch me in the sequel. Yep. She's like, you know what? Like, you know, your plan didn't follow through. So I'm just going to bounce before shit gets worse. So He-Man gets his sword back, and this gives us our final battle. Um, and Not only does it give us our final battle, but it gives us the only time he uses his catchphrase. Since there are no Prince Adam transformations, mm-hmm. we get He-Man getting his hands back on his sword, and he utters those famous words, I have the power. And that had to make you happy as a youngster. It did. It did. The final battle was uh, easily my favorite part of the film because uh, you know, it was, it was, you know, it's the third act. It's supposed to pump you up. And if we're not going to get a transformation, this was pretty much as good as it got, but it was definitely worthy of the pop that it got from me. You know, and I, I know they've said in like the document, the electric boogaloo documentary and everything like, Oh, they basically ran out of money by the end and they just had to kind of, but I think this is a great final battle. I mean, I think it's cool the way it looked and everything. It didn't need to be more than it was. The shroud of darkness at the end. Yeah, it already had enough going on for it. And yeah, you waited so long for it. It didn't matter where these guys were fighting. It was was what you wanted to see. Um, It gets to the point where Skeletor actually reverts back to his original form. 
Um, and then we get, when it's all said and done, the classic falling down the shaft. Why is why do they always build these things with these like big cavernous like drop death drops all around? I mean, you know, it's, I, I'm not going to say it's medieval times, but you got to figure a castle. You don't want everything to be easy access around a castle. You want to have your moats and your dungeons. I understand, but right in the throne room, that's like, man, you had a well, little bit. If you remember, you had a, you had a little bit too much boy, wine. You're the king. You have a little bit too much wine one night. You you take a plunge off there. You got trouble. I mean, if you remember the castle Grayskull toy, where was the trap door? It was right next to the throne. It, right. And we're talking about the actual throne, not the bathroom everyone that's true yeah if there's a trap door next to the toilet then we're all in trouble because we're all bound to fall down <laughs> sooner or later yeah exactly because that room gets a lot of uh, business so you know we get the uh, fall uh, much like the emperor falling down in in return of the jedi and that's seemingly the end of skeletor um the eye closed the great eye closes the sorceress is freed it's victory all around for our heroes um, and then we get our little hat. We got a, just a series of happy ending moments. Lubick decides, Hey, why the hell am I going to go back to earth? I was about done there anyway. Uh, his coworkers didn't seem to have much respect for him. Some, for some reason, some woman's in, instantly attached herself to him. So why the hell would he go back? Chris? Yeah, he's getting the Royal treatment. Why is he going to bounce back? So he's, he's good. He'll just live out in Eternia. Um, Sorceress gives Julie a gift where she could kind of, keep Eternia close to her at all times. And that would not be the only time Courtney Cox received a gift from that woman. Do you know why? Uh, was she on Friends? Christina Pickles, who played the sorceress, played Monica, which was Courtney Cox's character. She played her mother for 10 years on Friends. Oh, my word. I never knew that. How the hell so, did I not know that? A nice little nod to... Something uh, very big in pop culture history that would not happen for another seven years. Well, that's pretty awesome. That is, yeah. So, yeah, she definitely would have gotten gifts. So, she gets the gift. Um, told, you know, we get don't say goodbye, say good journey. And Gwildor uh, is going to send him back. He, he's like, hey, I could send you back whenever. They're like, no, nah, just send us back. And then as they're going through the portal, Julie, like, oh, wait a minute. Did Gwildor, was he able to switch it, or did Gwildor know? What do you think? Did Gwildor know what to do? I think I think Gwildor knew. I think this was just like uh, sending her back with a pleasant surprise. Yeah, I think so, too, because Gwildor is freaking awesome and 10 million times better than a fucking Orko. All right. <laughs> so, But what was not awesome was what we see in the next scene, which yeah. was... Courtney Cox, who had already been in the Dancing in the Dark video for Bruce Springsteen. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, she wasn't a main level celebrity yet, but she was like a hot young girl. She had oh, been yeah. on family ties. People are into her. They're digging her. And she is made to wear, like, they looked like the pajamas that, like, Wendy from Casper would wear in the cartoon. <laughs> Just like these yeah. long, with, like, the frilly top and stuff like that. Yeah. No 17, 18 year old girl in 1987 is wearing no she'd she'd have a living in a box t-shirt on cut off at the bottom like a midriff oh yeah oh yeah she would (laughs) yeah yeah instead she's wearing little house on the prairie pajamas or something i don't know 
Uh, yeah, but uh, she wakes up in her granny pajamas and finds out her parents are alive. She That's the day of. It's the day of. And uh, she's going to stop her parents from going. That kind of freaks them. They're like, what the hell is your problem? But she takes their keys, takes all their, their plans, and just rushes outside. That's where Kevin's there. And, and they don't give chase. They're just kind of like, hey, Julie, stop. And yeah. then she, you know, she runs out into the street in her, you know, 1950s curly from the Three Stooges pajamas. <laughs> Do you have, well, we'll get to that in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, and Kevin's there, but he's still in his cool leather jacket. He sleeps in that, probably. Um, it's a big happy same ending. jeans three days in a row. Yeah, I'm sure they're fine. Uh, and credits roll, and, you know, that's it's a happy, happy time. The music plays, but wait! The tease. The tease. This this reminds me of Flash Gordon every time I see it, because that's the same thing. That one teased that Ming, the Merciless, was not done. We get the same gimmick with uh, old Skeletor, Chris. Yep, he decides to pop his head out and let us know that he will be back. And, uh, you know, we certainly saw Skeletor many times over the years, but unfortunately we never saw He-Man again or Skeletor in a canon films production. No, and that's a shame. I really wish this would have done more. Of course, famously, they they were working on... Uh, so it had some work being done to it. I know you did a uh, post for us about... For the sequel to Masters of the Universe. Yeah, kind of what, had... what it would have looked like somewhat, and you kind of use some creative license to fill in some gaps. But yeah, a lot of what the props and stuff that they had ready for the sequel ended up in Cyborg. Yep, which is, uh, at times, if you catch it on the right channel, it's billed incorrectly as Masters of the Universe 2, Cyborg. Yeah, so... You know, that's you know one of those interesting tidbits from the, the world of canon. And, of course, if you want more of those, you should probably... If you didn't, if you missed our last episode, we had Austin Trunick on our last episode, the author of the Canon Film Guide. And I would suggest picking up those books and checking out our Chuck Norris episode where he, he gave a lot of great canon tidbits, as you would have expected from a man who has devoted so much of his life to the great Canon film group. They are excellent reads and uh, his Twitter is a good follow too, because he's always thrown up little tidbits. Uh, That man loves over the top like no other. And it's always fun to see him break down the, uh, the novelization and the script changes and all of that stuff. And I am, uh, yeah, I, I love over the top as well. My God is that, that's one of those movies that, uh, when I first, and I would say it's the same for this. I, you know, I saw Masters of the Universe. I didn't see it in the theater, but I did see it probably when it hit cable, or maybe I rented it. I'm not a hundred percent. And you know, it was all right. Again, I did not have the the bias going in with I love the cartoon. The cartoon is gospel. Um, but over the years now, this movie has become a huge one of my favorite canon movies. Now I love it. Absolutely love this movie. I I think it's gotten wider acceptance. I think that as people got older, they kind of see it for what it is. But if you don't look back so much on the cartoon like I was doing when I was a kid and kind of take it for what it is or see some of the illusions that it's making, it's a good, you know, comic book style, fantasy style film. 
Yeah, and again, we've talked about some of the complaints about the about it being on Earth, but there a good chunk does. I mean, I think a third of the movie is still on Eternia, um, or at so, least inside Castle Grayskull. Well, yes, inside Castle Grayskull, which is a fantastic set. I mean, that thing's beautiful, uh, really well done. You could see that they at one point were putting money into it, and and why why the money probably ran out because there's a lot of great stuff in there. Um, so yeah, my final thoughts on Masters of the Universe. They could have saved some money by not buying those pajamas for Courtney Cox and just letting her use her own bra and underwear or something. Oh my, you're getting out. Okay. <laughs> this, see, this is where we'd, where if Chad Cruz were here, we'd probably be going down a really bad path. <laughs> um, but uh, so yeah, so yeah. Again, I, as I was saying, I think this is just a movie that has definitely grown on me over the years, and now again. One of my favorite canon movies. Your final thoughts on Masters of the Universe? I am right there with you. You know, I love this movie. Uh, you know, like I said, I didn't love it as much as I thought I was going to when I was younger. But over time, uh, I gained more appreciation and a newfound acceptance of it. And it is also one of my favorite canon films. Uh, it's also a film that, you know, I talk a lot about the things that you and I have grown up on or that I've loved as a kid or as an adult that my son picks up on and he is a huge he-man fan he's been given several of my figures as hand-me-downs he's got his own collection of the newer figures and this film is one of those films hey it's kaylee cuoco for priceline ready to go to your happy place for a happy price well why didn't you say so just download the priceline app right now and save up to 60 percent on hotels so whether it's cousin kevin's kazoo concert in kansas city go kevin or becky's bachelorette bash in bermuda you never have to miss a trip ever again so download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. That he will ask to put on pretty often when he's just hanging around the house. So uh, I have definitely passed on my love for Masters of the Universe to him as well. And that is, that may give you Frank Langella Father of the Year Award right there. So... Good on you. All right. We are going to take a quick break and then we are going to wrap things up here on the Bulletproof Podcast. Chris the Brain and Christy Petrillo back with you. And we're going to wrap things up here for this very special episode as we kick off Actionversary Month on BulletproofAction.com. And before we go, though, you know, there's a couple topics we always talk about when you hit us up or when you pay us a visit here uh dollar tree anything going on at the dollar tree i know as usual i don't have much of an update because my dollar tree sucks if i have Uh, not made that if i've not made that clear in the past my dollar tree sucks almost as bad as orco now do you only have just the one near you i have the one near me and i always by my parents there's a bunch and i always say oh i'm gonna go but i never do so I mean, I know that I live in Rhode Island, where everything is so you know in close proximity. But I mean, there's three within five minutes of my house. So, yeah, Actually, there's not four. that many five minutes. Yeah, I have the one with five minutes. The others are, you know, I'm going to go twenty, thirty minutes out to get to it. So, well, the rumor, according to the uh, Blu-ray forums, which has the Dollar Tree DVD thread, is that the next drop is supposed to be this weekend. Uh, I've got my little network of associates that also collect movies that have been out and about and haven't found anything new yet. So 
we'll see what pops up. Uh, last time I saw anything that was marked as a new box, it was pretty much a lot of retreads, things that I already own, uh, like Ninja 1 and 2 with Scott Adkins, you know, all stuff that we have watched, reviewed, discussed, <laughs> talked about. But I do still have quite the backlog of Dollar Tree purchases, so maybe I will throw up a couple of titles up on the old Twitter and uh, tag our site and tag you and Chad and all of our friends, and maybe we'll do another vote to get another Dollar Tree DVD reviewed on the site in the very near future. Don't vote for the master. Or just master, I guess it was. Um, yeah, well, there you go. Yeah, that wouldn't be a bad idea. It's been a while since we did the uh, Dollar Tree vote. So yeah, there you go. The last one was Power Kids, which actually popped up on Pluto TV about a week ago. Oh, Pluto. Pluto TV on their action channel for, I don't know. I don't know how long it was, but it seemed like for weeks it was nothing but gladiator and saving private ryan one right after the other constantly well it seems like the horror channel right now is playing nothing except the friday the 13th franchise that that's a common occurrence over there as well five if i just every time lately and i mean like at least three times in the past week and a half two weeks Every time Punisher Warzone has been labeled as being on when either myself or little Zach has turned on Pluto TV, it is always at the point where Jigsaw takes over the rundown hotel and his crazy brother starts breaking the mirrors. To the point where my son said, does Pluto TV only play this part? It's a good question. That's a good question. I've never seen that one. I know you're a fan of it. I know Chad hates it. Uh, I love it. It's an I, excellent, excellent. I, I know we've talked about having a debate episode at some point. I would just rather talk about the Dolph Lundgren Punisher myself. We but. can do. We can talk about all the Punishers. We could do like a Punisher countdown or a Punisher breakdown. Yeah, I might have a breakdown if we talk about. Uh, I don't know. No, I'll be fine. Speaking of being fine, how are things over at the Figures Toy Company? Are things fine over there? They are fine. We actually just launched our uh, in-house series of, I guess you could call them supporting cast wrestling figures. I've been seeing those. Yeah. If you remember uh, about, you know, 22 years ago when we did those original Legends of Professional Wrestling (laughs) figures, we did the event staff and the ref and all those kind of side characters. And we have used the same body molds that we have right now for the Legends and the Rising Stars to create security and managers and announcers and valets and a whole host of cameraman. Wasn't there a cameraman? There's a cameraman. There's an EMT. There's even a Druid. Well, yeah, you never know when you're going to have a Druid, especially you got the casket. You need a Druid to carry the casket. Exactly. You know, and I mean, even not even with the wrestling wise, you've got so many of those horror themed heads that we've just been, uh, throwing up there for the new retro style bodies. You know, we've got the killer clowns and the, aliens and the vampires and stuff like that so you get a nice little horror display going um but there is a a lot in the works as well you know uh we're always uh brainstorming with the people we have under contract uh i'm always throwing ideas back and forth with uh, mr jim Cornette. as you know his figures are pretty popular he's always talking about them on the podcast uh we've got plenty in store for the three stooges for dc comics for scooby-doo Uh, Just really a lot in the pipeline right now. And as that stuff comes out, we will have even more to talk about and more to release. And yeah, speaking of corny, uh, if you want the Jim Cornette commentator playset, you might have to go to figurestoycompany.com 
because I know Corny. Ah, uh, because his uh, Spectrum cable sent him into a rage. Corny destroyed. Corny destroyed a good portion of his inventory at his home, so he may not have many more. He may run out. So if he runs out, you got to go to figurestoycompany.com. And, and if I'm going to run out. That might be it. That might be your retirement on that version. <laughs> so there you go. He's made a more limited edition than ever. Uh, <laughs> or Spectrum did, I guess. So, I mean, well, Jim, a- Jim, I know you're not listening, Jim, but buy a fucking Roku. Would you, dude? <laughs> you'll, you'll figure it out real quick. I will come down to Louisville and teach you how to use it if you need to. But please. Um, and you mentioned the Three Stooges. Are you going to have Curly in his in the Courtney Cox pajamas? I want to. You know, I have actually pitched. So you know, we have the Three Stooges in a variety of outfits. Mo, Larry, and Curly. We've done Shemp. Shemp's are all sold out right now. But we've even got Curly Joe and Joe Besser. We're going to have all the Stooges. Um, but I have pitched several different outfits, uh, and two of the ones that I pitched were the Stooges in like their pajamas with like their little you know santa claus style stocking caps right uh and i pitched doing the prisoner outfits where they painted over the front when they were trying to sneak out as the guards so the front would be like the guard uniform and the back would have the stripes that they forgot to paint the back of their uniforms so yeah i've pitched quite a few but we just recently did the bellhop edition and the housekeeper edition from idle rumors and that's because we've got the wolfman lupe the wolfman coming out in that set first time ever a supporting cast member from the Three Stooges has been made into a figure. And we'll be doing the same when we do them in their little safari outfits from We Want Our Mummy and we do the mummy, uh, you know, the thug in that film that was dressed up like a mummy in King Root and Tootin's tomb. So uh, a lot of really cool Three Stooges stuff coming out, which uh, my son is also ecstatic about because he has become a fan of the Stooges thanks to Me TV on Saturday nights. Um, and, you know, I mentioned Austin Trunick being on our show last time chad actually asked him what action figures what canon based action figures he'd want and you are fortunate that i'm in a very mellow mood because after chad asked that i got very angry with you because i had requested several canon action i mean for years now Years I've been wanting a Michael. I Dewey mean, it's Pop. come up pretty much every time. American Ninja One or Two. Joe Kasugi. And obviously the main one, Death Wish Three, Charles Bronson, Paul Kersey, the fucking machine gun. This is what I need in my life, but you have failed me. Like I say, never like like the wrestling business has taught you, and like I always say, never say never. It could only be a matter of time. I mean, it took me. Let's see, we did the original Legends in two thousand, and then it wasn't until two thousand fifteen that we started bringing them back. So, hey, who knows? There, there is always time. Nothing but time and opportunity. Uh, I don't know how much time I have left, but I. I well, I mean, let's put it this way: I'm I'm not going to become any less of a fan of canon films and. That's the true. Later years of my life, so I, I hope I'm alive to see these. If there's an opening, I, I hope and, I'm alive to see them. If it's not Zach Junior making these figures for another generation, which would be fine, I'll, I could go to my grave happy knowing other generations have canon action figures. I mean, you never know. I mean, my partner right now is my boss's son, who was ten when I started at Figures Toy Company, and now he and I are running the show on a lot of the licensing and a lot of the development of these action figures. You know, he's my eyes and ears down at the office and we work great together. So, you know, it could be that, you know, maybe someday his son and my son are working together. 
amazing. Well, figurestoycompany.com and uh, social media for, for Figures Toy Company and yourself. Let everyone know how they can harass you about action figures they want. Yeah, if you want, I mean, if you want to harass me personally, my Twitter account is at Zach Malibu. You can not only harass me, but you can read all of the amazing reviews that I do for Bulletproof Action because I am always tweeting and retweeting my No Surrender Cinema columns and the rest of our staff's uh, contributions to the site. So you'll always find me chiming in or posting stuff on Twitter on an almost daily basis. Uh, you'll also see some of the work I do from Figures Toy Company. And if you want to follow them directly, our social media is at Figures Toy Co. on Twitter. Just look up the company name on Facebook or Instagram. You can also check out our Wrestling Superstore website at WrestlingSuperstore.com. That's where you'll find a lot of the wrestling action figures and accessories. Uh, the same selection is cross-posted on the FiguresToyCompany.com website. You can follow them at res w-r-e-s underscore superstore on twitter once again just look for the company name on facebook and instagram there you go and you know we talked earlier at the start of the show about actionversary and i want to thank you for helping me kick off actionversary here on bulletproofaction.com and on the bulletproof podcast all the great things coming to the site but on this show we've got two more shows in august our next one one of my favorite I guess, modern day action movies. You can call it John Wick. We are going to be covering John Wick. And do you know that Ryan Campbell has never seen John Wick? I am amazed by that information. I was as well. So when I heard that, I said, well, you're going to watch the damn thing and we're going to talk about it. So he has that as his assignment. That'll be our next show. And then at the end of the month, we are going to wrap up Actionversary, eight years of Bulletproof Action with a very special guest, professional wrestler, actor. He's uh, been at Cafe de Rene quite a bit lately. Paul London will join us, and we're going to be talking about Showdown. We mentioned it earlier. Billy Blinks, Ken Scott. This thing is just a 90s classic and one of Paul's favorite movies. So he was, I was we've already recorded that one. It is probably our longest. Uh, no, not pro. It is our longest episode ever. You could probably watch Showdown in less time than you will have that it would take to hear us talk about it. But it's a great pod. I'm looking forward for that one coming out at the end of the month. Something very special for Actionversary, Chris. I mean, I might have to do both. I mean, you know that Showdown is one of my favorite movies. We actually talked. I'm like, oh, there's going to be a Showdown podcast. Let me. Uh sneak in on that and you're like oh well actually it's already recorded but uh <laughs> the fact that you recorded it with uh, a man that i once proudly wore the ring of honor t-shirt of is just an added bonus because uh yes about 20 years ago i did have the please don't die t-shirt and he hasn't he's alive and well and he will be here on the bulletproof podcast talking showdown later this month so again a lot coming up on the pod on the site we are celebrating eight years, unbelievably, eight years of BulletproofAction.com. And uh, again, thank you, Chris, for joining me and helping me kick things off, talking Masters of the Universe. Thank you for having me, as always. It's been a pleasure. The pleasure really was all mine. Actually, the pleasure was probably Chad Creed. He probably went to sleep instead of joining us. The pleasure was all yours because you made it through over an hour of talking about Masters of the Universe without having to see Orko. 
I fuck Orko. You're right about that. I'm glad I don't have to see Orko. I'm not a fan of that character at all. But I am a fan of you, the listener, and I want to thank you for listening. And as always, stay tuned for more of the Bulletproof Podcast. listening to the Geekscape Network. 